Good morning from WKYT News. We welcome you to a busy edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm Bill Bryant. Later, Van Ingram joins us from the Kentucky Office of Drug Control Policy as the state continues to battle addiction. What are the bright spots and where are the flashing caution lights out there? That's later. But first, Lexington Mayor Linda Gorton is here with us. This week, the mayor gave her state of the city county address and talked about her five years in office and her hopes for the future. She emphasized a decrease in the number of shootings in the city and the success with flock cameras in catching thieves. The mayor also talked about affordable housing, parks, and a time frame for a new city hall. Mayor Linda Gorton joining us today on Kentucky Newsmakers. So it's, well, this is sort of our test after the it, merge government address. It is we'll a see. test. <laughs> Which, by the way, the speech has changed its name over the years, hasn't it? <laughs> well, you know, so many people didn't understand state of the merge government. Right. <laughs> so I decided to change it. Yeah. You city, know, county. city and county, everybody yeah. understands. It's a little awkward to say, but it's okay. <laughs> you used your speech to talk about the five years that you've been mayor, mm -hmm. uh, the challenges uh, that uh, have uh, come along, but you believe this has been a time of progress uh, in the city, and uh, you emphasized uh, public safety in your speech. Mm -hmm. Are the trends there, you think, that, uh, that make it look like Lexington is becoming a safer place? Oh, absolutely. You know, through the pandemic and the uh, racial justice issues, we saw cities literally burning and cities pulling back funding from public safety and police and I believe and I have always believed that you cannot have a really good or great city without good public safety. That's the number one thing that people want. They want to be able to walk out their door, go to the park, take a walk around the block, go to the grocery, and feel safe. It is basic. So I'm a huge believer. I always have been and I always will be. It's a challenge to uh, keep the police department mm -hmm. staffed yes. fully. Uh, it, you're continuing those efforts and, uh, and trying some new things, right? Mm -hmm. We have uh, bounced around. Um, right after the pandemic, we had a lot of vacancies. Nobody wanted to be a police officer. And it is still a challenge to get people to apply. We don't get nearly as many applications. And we still have uh, vacancies, but we are just progressing along and continuing to get the people we need. And, um, you know, used to be lots of people uh, wanted to do that job. Now not a lot of people do. So we continue to pivot and do creative things to advertise and put the word out. And we are now hiring retirees. They have to fit into certain parameters. Who can do some of the jobs for the police? And so we're, we're working at it every day. The number of uh, homicides and shootings dropped last year as compared to the year before. Did it take a while for the efforts of, uh, of, of such things as one Lexington uh, to begin to, to pay some dividends? Yes. The, so it's hard to actually say what made it so that our homicides dropped. But we also do know the efforts that we have ongoing every single day. Our police efforts, our One Lexington efforts, our partners, partners who work on youth violent crime. Um, we have a lot of folks working on this. 
And because I think that we put public safety as the top priority, people know that we work on it every day. We're really happy to see the numbers come down. We're not done. And so we're not really celebrating, but we're hopeful that they will come down even farther. I mean, one homicide's too many, right? And right, and uh, you have said that uh, uh, lifting up neighborhoods and creating Certainly. opportunities mm -hmm. is also a part of the mix of addressing violence. It's a huge part of the mix, Bill, because when people can't get a job, or they can't afford housing, or they can't afford child care, all of those stressors that are on people every day, sometimes they turn to things that we don't want them to turn to. And with the youth, one of the things that we're doing through uh, One Lexington a lot is helping youth understand how to solve their differences peacefully. A lot of youth don't know how to do that and how to work through trauma that they've had where they may have seen a family member be shot and killed or their house be shot or a friend whatever so we are working in a lot of levels that I think are helping people. The flock camera system created some concerns when you first rolled it out. Mm -hmm. uh, do you believe that it has provided more safety without being too invasive on, on uh, privacy? I of course remember the concerns that many people expressed because they didn't want surveillance and these are not surveillance cameras uh, and the way they work has had a huge impact on police being able to do their jobs more efficiently and to gather information that beforehand they'd have had to go knock on doors and say did you see a car did you get a license so they really are um, I call them a police multiplier where the police get information and they're helping us solve crimes, which I believe our public wants. So they've been a really good addition. And we had to work through the concerns, and we educated a lot of people. Police had many, many, many groups of people into the Real-Time Intelligence Center to see how these different things worked. To, so to show citizens what, what's going absolutely, on. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and really, uh, we haven't had any concerns lately, and people are seeing the results. Mental health professionals are now being integrated into some of the police responses uh, when that's called for. Uh, do you believe that uh, that will be successful, and, uh, and should it be expanded going forward? Well, we're looking right now at how this is working for us. We have a grant to add mental health professionals to work with the 911 calls and to kind of ferret out which ones are true emergencies and which ones are true mental health related and so we'll have to see how this works I believe in this as a nurse when I was working my nursing job I began to realize that you know many 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 people have mental health issues it's part of health and so we can't ignore it. We have to attend to it. And so we're looking at this a little differently now. And we're willing to try new things. So I'm very hopeful. 
You mentioned affordable housing, a major issue in the community, and uh, across the nation, really, this is an issue, and mm -hmm. many cities are being urged to do more in the way they do their planning and zoning and mm -hmm. so forth to, to uh, help uh, uh, create uh, affordable housing areas. 2,800 acres approved for expansion mm -hmm. yes. uh, in Fayette County. But we are hearing about the sports complexes and the, uh, the new business developments mm -hmm. that are coming and that sort of thing. Are you convinced that that land will, at least in part, be used for affordable housing? Well, the devil's in the details on this one. And what we're doing is we, we the government, are crafting some incentives as well as some new rules for this expansion area particularly for housing and so I do think there will be some affordable housing because a developer can look at uh, their piece of land and say well I could get an incentive if I could put this much affordable housing in the development so kind of working through those details and the consultant is working on the master plan and so there's a lot yet to come but I do believe that. But now, it's, it's hard for local governments to steer development yes, in that direction. Isn't it is. It yeah. is. We are hopeful that they will look at these new rules and incentives and say well I could do this and make it work. I don't believe that most developers will do it on their own. Uh, which is unfortunate. Um, so we're, we're going to try our best to have some new ground rules put into place. Lexington is discussing an ordinance that would ban source of income discrimination. Louisville has done that. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like uh, lawmakers in Frankfurt want to do uh, a preemptive legislation that would not allow local governments to do that. And the, the, the time frames are clashing because here you are discussing it. It looks like about to do it. Uh, well, Frankfurt is about to apparently say no. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting, isn't it? Um, well, the council will pass this. Um, I'm not sure when. It'll get first reading on thurs this Thursday, and um, then it'll go for second reading. They could suspend the rules and give it second reading the same night. Uh, several council members wanted to slow down the process in order to see what the state is doing. And so, um, you know, I've never really been a believer in trying to, as a council member, trying to pass something that by the time we passed it might be illegal, which is what we're kind of looking at. I've heard all the, um, you know, the, the emotional pleas by council members and uh, tenants and people who care very much about this issue. But um, it's if you pass it and the state preempts it, is there a possibility Lexington would try to go to court and, and, and have that law overturned? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I don't think that is a possibility. Yeah. There is a, a, a homeless count that is going on this week. We'll know those results at some point to address this situation. Uh, a major issue that's a long-term issue in Lexington and growing in other places as well. Mm -hmm. We Every year we do a homeless count according to the HUD guidelines. Mm -hmm. It's interesting uh, this year many times the count is done on a very cold night in January. <laughs> I don't know that we're going to have a very cold night. I'm talking below zero or yeah. below freezing. Yeah. 
and uh, we get a better count that that way because a lot of those folks go into shelter but we do the count anyway it's important to us to know how many people we have who are homeless we have a new uh, winter warming shelter that we uh, got up and running this winter and it's worked very well for people open from no November through the end of March and we help people get into into shelter when it's very bitterly cold they have showers, they have meals, uh, they have beds. It's run by the Hope Center. And so, um, you know, our homeless, the way I look at this is there are people. A lot of them were dropped off from other communities during the pandemic and they've never left, but they're now ours. So we've got to keep looking at what is the best next step to help those folks on the streets. There is a complete streets program that use, utilizes a lot of money to uh, improve safety for drivers and cyclists and pedestrians. Mm -hmm. uh, Lexington has quite an issue with pedestrians being uh, hit, uh, mm -hmm. in fact, struck and killed in many cases. Mm -hmm. I know that is concerning. Can the city substantially improve in that area? Well, we do have rising fatalities, both pedestrians and cyclists. And the complete streets program is brand new. The council has adopted it, and so now we will implement it. And I believe it will have a significant impact. You look at, for example, North New Circle Road, where we just got this big, one of the biggest ever federal grants, uh, $22 million, to improve sidewalks, to build bike lanes, to make pedestrian crossings. Up there on no North New Circle, we don't have those things. And in that area, I think over half of the fatalities have been pedestrians or cyclists. That's, a, that's not a good record. So we're going to work really hard to make it safer for everybody. People who want to bike, people who want to walk, and uh, the Complete Streets is a program that has specific guidelines of how you build the street. What do you do to enable pedestrians to be safer and that kind of thing. So we're pretty excited about its long-term program. Speaking of long-term, you believe there will be a plan for City Hall by this summer? Oh, yes. I'm an optimist. I have been around on the council for about four different mayor's proposals. In that temporary city hall that was <laughs> where they moved in. 1984. Uh, right, exactly. So I am. We're being very careful. I've worked hand-in-hand hand with the council from day one to do this. We've got to do this. Our beautiful old Lafayette Hotel that was never meant to be a city hall long-term is having so many uh, maintenance and other issues and we need to get out of it and get in a city hall. We expect our proposals to come in February 9th and we're very excited. We hope we have several. We don't know, but we'll continue to move forward. The council and I are in lockstep on this. The 50th anniversary of the merged Lexington Fayette Urban County government is uh, this year, and yes. you're going to celebrate in March. Yes, right? we yeah. are. Yeah. At our March 21st council meeting, we'll be doing some celebrating, so people will either be able to come or watch online, and we're in the planning process right now. So we're, this is a big deal. There are not many merged governments across the country, and it took someone 
back in 1973-74 to give up power. That's how this works. And that's the sticking point with a lot of cities and counties, how they never can get to it yeah. because nobody will give up power. So we're really excited to celebrate this milestone. Mayor, thanks for coming by. We appreciate you. you updating us. We're coming back in just a moment. Van Ingram from the Office of Drug Control Policy in Kentucky, coming up in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Kentucky has made progress in its battle with addiction, but huge challenges remain. Just when law enforcement sees improvements in one area, a new threat seems to emerge. A former police officer in Maysville for more than 23 years, Van Ingram, has now headed up Kentucky's Office of Drug Control Policy since right after it was created in 2004. He's seen the changes, he knows the challenges, and the battle that is still out there. Welcome, Van. We appreciate very much you coming in today. Thanks for having me, Bill. We know Kentucky has made strides in uh, in addiction and recovery. We also know the demand for substance uh, remains. Uh, Twenty years after you started in this position, are you uh, encouraged or discouraged? Depends what day it is. Uh, some days I am pretty discouraged. Others we we take pride in some small victories that we see. But look, twenty years ago. We had treatment waiting lists of four to six to eight weeks. Today we can get people within a residential program if they qualify within hours. Uh, so we have, just, just under, since Governor Bashir's been in, we've increased drug treatment beds by 50%. That, that, that's a game changer. We can really help people get into treatment when they're ready. Uh, and that happened only because of the expanded Medicaid and the, benefit, the substance abuse benefit that was added in 2014. So there has been a real focus on treatment. There has. And we, we have good treatment now, and the focus really is on recovery. Is when people get out of treatment, they need things to help them stay in that recovery mode, right? Sometimes that's transportation. Sometimes that's um, uh, recovery housing or st stable, sober housing. And a lot of times it's a job. You know, we all ha want to have a purpose in life, and we all have to have things that we hold on to and, and identify us, and a job is often that. So we've done a lot of work with the Kentucky Chamber uh, to make it a real priority that we need fair chance employment. We need that. We need folks to, to take a chance on these on people in recovery or people that might have a criminal record because of their drug addiction. Uh, and a lot of Kentucky employers have stepped up to do that. Our employers more receptive. They to really that. are. Yeah. They really are. We have a what's called a fair chance academy. The chamber puts on a few times a year. It fills up every t every time we do it. Uh, Kentucky localities can be certified as recovery ready, uh, and and that means that uh, there are uh, some things in place in those communities that can help. Uh, tell us what what that takes. How many of those do we have? Yeah, we're, so we, right now we've designated 10 counties as being recovery ready. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow our recovery ready advisory council will meet and hopefully we'll approve three more. Um, what it really is is a matrix of here's the things you should have in prevention, here's the things you should have in your community to affect treatment, and here's the things you should have in your community to affect recovery. And it's a scoring system. Um, it's developed by the Volunteers of America Mid-States, who's our partner on this project. Uh, they don't get any money for doing this. It's just they want their community to be known as being recovery ready. And, and we have communities all across Kentucky that are signed up waiting for us to, to, to review their applications and, and do the site visits. So I'm proud of our Kentucky communities that are stepping up and saying, we want to take care of people who have this disease 
and help them on the straight and narrow and, and uh, recover from their disease and lead good lives. I would take it you uh, say that everybody has skin in the game in this in this battle. They should. Yeah. If, if they don't recognize it, they, they, they do. And we all do. Um, look, in our country, this is like a, a major plane crash every day. We lose that many people. Um, in, Kentucky, in Kentucky, the last few years, it's like six people a day we lose. That's six Kentuckians. That's got to affect us all. All of us know someone who has this disease and been impacted by this disease. Uh, you know, I started in law enforcement in 1981, and it was nothing like it is now. This, this problem was created in our lifetime, and it, we need to try to solve it in our lifetime. And yet you've seen the different approaches over time, the, the war on drugs, the, the attempt to uh, uh, stop it at the, at the demand level, the, the, the attempts to stop it after uh, someone has uh, been battling addiction and to try to get them back mm -hmm. on course. What, what works? A plethora of things. Um, you know, education and knowledge is power. And, and so the more we can educate young people on this disease and, and, and on this process, the better off we'll be down the road. Good prevention is, is, is worth its weight in gold. Um, enforcement's always going to be there and should be there. Right? That's the tip of the spear. But it can't do it alone. For so many years, we depended on law enforcement to beat this drug problem back by themselves. And it was, it was a impossible strategy. You know, we're always hearing about uh, new threats out there. There's uh, something called xylazine mm -hmm. that we now uh, hear of. Um, yeah, xylazine's a, uh, not a controlled substance, but it's a sedative used by veterinarians. Um, the trend started in Puerto Rico and then moved into Philadelphia, stayed there for a long time. Now it's made its way across the country. Um, we're seeing it in, in, in the mixed with fentanyl, mixed with other drugs. Um, we're, we're assessing that now and we're testing all of our fatal overdoses for xylazine presence. Uh, last year, the Office of National Drug Control Policy declared fentanyl xylazine combination an emerging health threat. Um, We'd like to see what, what, what the next step's going to be from our federal government on that. We know that Narcan has saved the lives of uh, uh, many who are overdosing, some several times. Does Kentucky adequately address uh, the addiction after someone has survived a close call like that? We really try to. We've um, uh, worked with a number of our emergency departments across the, uh, across the state to have peer support specialists located right there in the emergency department. So when someone comes in with a non-fatal overdose, we're doing that reach out, that warm, right, that warm handoff right there to say, we've got somebody who's been where you've been, if you want to talk to them. We find that when they do that, when somebody says, yeah, I'll talk to them, six out of ten times that person ends up going into treatment that very, that very day. Uh, a lot of our EMS workers, we have about 11 what we call quick response teams around the state, where EMS workers and public health folks and sometimes law enforcement go out within 24, 72 hours of an overdose, a non-fatal overdose, and say, look, if you need resources, if you need help, we'll help you. I think we got to continue that kind of work. They reach back to those yes. who, have, who have had uh, that, that situation. You uh, have a couple of numbers you wanted us to know as far as the, the resources that are available. Yeah, it's never been easier th than now to locate treatment, to locate resources and help. Uh, the Kentucky Injury Prevention Research Center at UK runs uh, a website called findhelpnowky.org. It's kind of like the Expedia of drug treatment. You can go on there with a few clicks of a mouse. You can find out a provider near you that is accepting patients today. We also have 8338-KY-HELP, and that's our state call center. 
uh, it's operated by uh, Operation Unite. They run that for us. Um, it's open every weekday from 7 to 10, and I believe it's 10 to 6 on weekends. When you call that number, you're going to talk to a compassionate social worker that can help you understand this disease process, understand the bureaucracy of treatment, and help you find the right program for you. What does it take for somebody to make that call or seek that information? You know, folks who are in addiction, every, every one of them at some point will wake up and say, I, gotta, I can't live like this anymore. That's why we want to find help now, and that's why we need 8338KY help. So when that person has that realization, they don't get a call that says, oh, you need to, you to wait six weeks. Because the addicted brain is going to tell you within hours that you, you, know, you really don't need that help. Man, you've done this, as we said, close to 20 years. You were in law enforcement uh, uh, for more than 20 years uh, before that. Uh, what, as you look at this as your life's work uh, at this point going forward, uh, are we going to get there? Yes. You know, this opioid abatement settlement is a big deal. Bringing in nearly a billion dollars to Kentucky, half going to local communities, and half going to the Opioid Abatement Commission. Um, I tell folks all the time, we have one shot to get this right. We're never going to get this kind of money again. We've got to use it smartly, smart, effectively, uh, and I think if we do that, we can beat this disease. Van Ingram, thank you for coming thank from you, sir. the Office of Drug Control Policy. We'll be back in just a moment on Kentucky Newsmakers. Before we go here on Kentucky Newsmakers, a little uh, programming note for you because WKYT will be carrying the Super Bowl from CBS next Sunday. It will impact our schedule. We're having to shift some things around a little, so there will not be an 11.30 a.m. play of Kentucky Newsmakers next Sunday. Uh, we will be on at 10 a.m. on the CW Lexington, and we are adding a 5.30 a.m. edition on WKYT. So in other words, if that doesn't work out for you, get your DVR ready to go if you want to catch next week program. We will return to our regular schedule in two weeks. That's Kentucky Newsmakers for this week. Thank you for joining us and make it a good week ahead.